Hey guys, welcome to All About The Game. After more than 15 months, we're finally back. Today we have with us Mr. Samir Cherich. He is the COO of Blocksport. Blocksport is a Swiss-based sports tech company. He will share with us his thoughts on the future of NFTs and fan engagement. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Samir Cherich, welcome to All About the Game. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for having me, Sid, and uh, very much looking forward to this uh, conversation today. Perfect. Um, how's it going? I heard you were in Israel and you've been traveling quite a bit for your for the for some sports tech conferences. Yeah, I mean it's it's been great. Obviously, uh, before uh, Sports Tech Nation in Tel Aviv, I was at uh, Sportel in Monaco. Uh, we had a very very good presentation. Great sort of feedback from both the organizers and also the industry heavyweights. Um, Tel Aviv and Israel was very special, I think, uh, apart from the fact that I was on two uh, main stage panels talking about organization, the fun engagement, the monetization. Uh, I also ran a small workshop with James of Socios, where we spoke to a very small group of people about all sorts of challenges sports tech companies like Blocksport and Socios are currently facing. In particular, uh, amidst uh, all the all the issues that the whole industry is facing with uh, with the various collapses of FTX last week and uh, in general the way in which the crypto market and the Bitcoin have been performing pretty much since the start of the year. Right, so um, I will get back to some of those things, but uh, since it's a current issue, um, do you think the FTX uh, news uh, would have uh, will have a huge impact on the sports NFT and the crypto um, uh, market industry in the next few months? Of course, I mean, uh, any major collapses like this will have uh, an imminent impact because uh, Many sporting properties around the world uh, are today connected to many crypto companies, uh, including the FTX. And obviously, we saw the tweets of uh, Dreyfus as well uh, in relation to any of uh, those that own Chile's, uh, how they'll be recompensed and, and, and what the so course of action associates wants to do in relation to that. Um, you know, I've been kind of warning for some time that... Uh, you know, uh, crypto companies uh, have seen a huge potential by being involved in sporting properties in a similar way how the betting companies started quite a few years ago uh, and have started becoming the general sponsors uh, and, and taking the, the pride of place on the jerseys uh, as well as uh, at the stadiums and arenas. So um, in my view, uh, a correction of the market will take place anyhow, and that's not a bad thing. But at the same time, I'd like to think that this is a great opportunity for the uh, those sitting at the helm of the sporting properties, that the senior management and the ownership structure uh, will also uh, use this as the opportunity to educate themselves uh, in the process, what's really happening uh, in the crypto market, how it's positively and negatively impacting the sporting properties and the investment into the sporting industry how to do the proper due diligence when it comes down to tying knots with any of these uh, uh, big companies that might appear 
on the face of it as unicorns, as uh, multi-billion dollar ventures. But in actual fact, they're very, very um, fragile because the uh, inadequacy uh, of the capital um, is something that the banking sector and the financial sector has been going through over the last few decades. So when you uh, basically run out of cash, when the panic uh, sets in, when your customers start withdrawing huge amounts of money, which was the case in the FTX, $5 billion uh, uh, worth of withdrawals happened the Sunday before last, and they only had 80% uh, in terms of the liquidity. Hence, the issue really happened. You know, somebody who's been involved in the financial sector uh, for the last 20 plus years through M&A and other, other activities, I'm well aware how the banking financial sector operates. And, uh, and I think these crypto platforms have probably underestimated uh, the, 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 the sort of status of the industry in the, in the last couple of years. And I think just to finish off with the Bitcoin sort of uh, space, uh, if we think about it in the last 12 to 18 months alone, 80 plus percent of the, new, uh, of the investors in the Bitcoin uh, are brand new people. So there's been a right. huge hype right. and where there is a hype, there's always a risk of that uh, going terribly wrong. And, and hence uh, we've seen that with FTX. Right. So um, about uh, this, um, I feel there's a huge confusion between the NFTs and the cryptocurrency and then the blockchain, because all of these things are kind of tied together. And do you feel certain clubs not wanting to get into the NFT and blockchain space uh, just because of the uh, cryptocurrency crash? I don't think that's the only reason. That doesn't help. Uh, because obviously now we have to restore confidence and trust again, which has been broken over and over again. I think the, the, it's a more uh, lack of education and understanding what an NFT is. And I think uh, if we go back 10 years, NFTs really started off in the art industry uh, in 2014. And there's uh, obviously the, with CryptoPunks, huge uh, um, uprise from you know the exhibition in Switzerland 2018 when they were selling NFTs for $50 to $100 to then Sotheby's and Christie's recently selling for the, the same NFTs for $5 to $10 million. I think there's been um, a bit of a gold rush uh, from the major players. And I think we've seen the likes of Barcelona and Man City uh, terminating agreements with questionable NFT platforms. We've seen the mistakes that the likes of Liverpool have done by releasing 200,000 NFTs with Sotheby's, uh, a top auction house in London. And if you think of a you know, traditional Liverpoolian fan from a working class background, and Sotheby's a very highbrow auction house, which is really catered for the super rich uh, over the past you know, decades and centuries, you kind of see that clubs are not yet fully aware how to take this forward. And then you have uh, so consultancy out there, cons consultants trying to make some sense out of it. But ultimately, the clubs need to take a step back. They need to use all these uh, bad decisions and, and, and sort of uh, uh, mistakes being made in the space, which 
will have cost some of their fans dearly, will have cost their, their reputation as well, uh, as an opportunity to uh, really reevaluate what's out there, who's playing what role, because I continuously uh, keep on saying at these conferences as, as a panelist that uh, it's very, very important that the alignment between uh, any sponsors or any investors and the sporting properties has got to be uh, much better, that we have to put the fans at the top of the pyramid. And I often talk about uh, sort of redefining of the pyramid in the sporting industry from that viewpoint on fans and monetization, that the fans have got to go on the top, the club owners and operators, senior managers in the middle, and us as the blockchain technology partners at the bottom, very much as facilitators and enablers of the better fun engagement and creation of new revenues. So uh, it's not a bad thing that uh, we are now in a position where everyone's questioning everything, because up until recently, there was no much questioning. It was if John said to James that this is a, a good NFT project, they just sign on a dotted line, hoping that they're going to make millions. But it doesn't, doesn't happen. You know, NFTs are really, there's a huge opportunity for NFTs in the sporting industry. And in Israel, you know, I was, I was, I was even probed by the former uh, chairman of the Israeli Football Federation. He said to me, I don't believe in NFTs. I think they're going to disappear. And I said, I've got to disagree because, uh, you know, NFTs are almost like a limited edition pieces of art. They are unique. They have the value because they're not uh, limitless. Uh, in this instance, they're unique, but they could also be uh, a range of them. And uh, if you're not buying them to make money and you are buying them because you are engaging with your club, you are building your own collection, you are, you are keeping them in your wallet, and at some stage you might be offering them as a gift, then you might actually benefit from it. But the ultimate uh, a sort of objective of NFTs is the engagement. It's not so much the investment. I think to just try and sell the investment in the space that really doesn't fully understand it is a wrong and misleading thing to do. And this is why on NFTs, on fund tokens, uh, clubs have been warned by watchdogs. In the UK, Arsenal was a prime example with Socios Chile's tokens. You know, they were misleading the fans on their social media platforms uh, uh, why to buy them. And I think we need more transparency. I think we need a, a, a better sort of safeguarding of the interest of the fans in the sporting industries. And I often say that, that, you know, sporting properties and clubs cannot be treated like a traditional commercial ventures. They're more like a social enterprises because these are the brands that have been around for 100, 150 years, and they will be around in another 100, 150 years. Whereas the likes of, you know, all the sports tech players right now, possibly even including Blocksport, will not be around in 100, 150 years' time in its current format and possibly with its current brand. Right. So, um, I mean, I wanted to uh, go uh, a deep dive into the NFT space. Uh, when you mentioned it should uh, the NFTs shouldn't be considered as investments, but more as um, memorabilia, like, uh, like actual fan merch, um, I see there's a divide between, let's say, the Gen Z audience and maybe the millennials or and, of course, the older generations who do not value digital art as much as uh, the Gen Z do. So do you feel that the NFTs would 
like to focus more on the, the Gen Z audience? Or do you yeah. think there has to be some sort of utility in the physical space for uh, the millennials like us to uh, get more into it? Two things, Sid. First, to kind of correct either myself or you in the sense, of course, NFTs, because they're unique, and they are uh, basically blockchain based and there is a secondary market. They are deemed as the investment proposition. The point I'm making here, you cannot predict the value of those investments, just like you, you cannot predict the value of a Picasso, Dali, uh, Chagall, Hearst or any of the art pieces, because lots of famous artists have got what it's called a secondary uh, level of artworks they've created over the years and decades. A very few pieces fetch millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions at the auction houses, and that's all we read about. So the art industry has been very good at, you know, hyping up uh, all the big blue chip names. And you can uh, also understand that there's lots of these blue chip artists whose works you can pick up for few hundred pounds, few thousand pounds, you don't need to be spending few million pounds. But what we read about is not that, we read about the, the, the sort of blockbuster values there. The same with NFTs. We're reading about the blockbuster value, we're reading about top shot, uh, you know, fetching huge amounts of money. And then there is a hype, when there is a hype, then everyone starts coming in, hoping they're going to make a great deal of money. And that's not the way uh, it actually works in real world, in real business, and really investment, investment uh, setup and community. So to answer your question, uh, of course, it's technically a financial instrument. It's a blockchain based, which is a great thing because it's based on smart contracts. And that's something that people need to understand. Like in the past where we relied on the word uh, gentleman's agreement or even uh, a sort of uh, contractual obligations, they weren't always honored because there was no way to uh, sometimes uh, prove that what it was agreed uh, could, be, could be actually applied. And you know, often in the world of business, those who have a, a bigger and better lawyers win, regardless whether you're right or wrong. So the benefit of the blockchain spy contracts is actually that, that all the transactions are uh, 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 there. They, are, uh, they can be viewed and monitored from the historical uh, position to the future. And that's where the big, big benefit in democratization and transparency that's actually being brought uh, to, the, to the whole ecosystem uh, of the blockchain industry, including NFTs and tokens. So on, on that front, it is where I think the education needs to be much, much deeper across the board with fans, as well as with those that are releasing them uh, through the, the, the sort of various sporting properties and assets, the digital assets that they actually have. Right. So um, in one of your previous interviews, you also mentioned adding a physical uh, component to the NFT, um, to the NFT token, right? So um, the NFT. So uh, what sort of uh, physical components can be used to uh, engage fans and uh, em enhance their experiences uh, by these uh, by sports clubs and entities? So uh, it's, a, it's a valid point. And uh, I'm a great believer that even on our non-speculative fund tokens, which are really kind of underpinned, underpinned by digital membership, 
uh, we are encouraging clubs to also offer physical goods in relation to the NFT purchase. So for example, with the Partizan Belgrade Basketball Club, which recently returned to the EuroLeague, uh, they have released 3D NFTs of the jersey that won 1992 EuroLeague title, and uh, also two uh, most recent jerseys of the 22-23 season. And all three of these NFTs, whoever ends up buying them, will come with a physical jersey signed by all the players and also the coach. So in actual fact, you're spending a few hundred dollars equivalent, uh, and you also end up having a unique uh, jersey that's signed uh, on behalf of the team and the, and the sort of legendary coach. So you have a kind of double, double value. And at the same time, the club is really showcasing the sort of real care uh, for the fans or anyone who ends up owning it. And I think we probably need to see more of that. We need to see more of the connection between the digital and physical, just like at the beginning of the e-commerce boom, uh, many, many sort of retailers out there thought, okay, we can really shut down our retail stores on high street and we can go digital. But in actual fact, when you combine bricks and mortar, uh, which offers experience to customer and consumer, and you create a really good experiential uh, user journey online, you, that supports each other and that ends up being a win-win. And I think one of the most successful stories uh, in the retail sector was the Burberry, who really, uh, from the brand that was almost dying out and not having your Gen Z and in this case, also Gen, uh, Gen Alpha, uh, which is now coming up, it became uh, in a hugely, hugely successful business uh, from being uh, sort of uh, in a bad, bad financial uh, financial um, uh, uh, position. So to come back to you, who's going to be consuming it more? Of course, it is going to be more targeted towards Gen Z and Gen Alpha because these guys uh, these youngsters live inside the smartphones yeah. and they consume today's matches. And we discussed, especially in the parts of the world like Southeast Asia, in a very different way. So they will go to a basketball, baseball, or football or rugby match, but they will be spending a lot of time on their smartphones. They will be researching certain things that are relevant to the match in the real time. And they will also be consuming other content, free or uh, to pay for during the match. So in actual fact, you really need to understand the new audience. And that's something that uh, I think that the, the owners and the senior management of this of the clubs, leagues and federations around the world are still struggling to understand, number one. And number two, I mentioned many times, the digital and marketing department has got to really employ those kind of kids, the new kids on the block, not those that have been in the industry for the 10, 20, 30 years, just because uh, you know, that's all they know, but those that really understand the mindset of the new uh, new fan base. Right, well said, um, of course. So because uh, me being a millennial, I'm, I'm still so skeptical about the about, like I mentioned, the digital art, and I wouldn't understand why somebody would want to own a highlight reel. Even though I'm I'm a huge fan of um, United, I can just see it on um, see in 1999 on YouTube. Or, you know the best moments on YouTube. Uh, it's I still can't comprehend the fact that you people would want to own an uh, asset like that. But uh, when you look at the younger generations and the way they uh, purchase digital sneakers and 
uh, stuff in esports, the skins for games. Uh, it's incredible the market, uh, the market size and the amount they're willing to spend on such entities. Correct, correct. No, no. I mean, look, um, I'm I'm sort of uh, somewhere in between, obviously, uh, also as 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 a millennial, uh, where I feel, you know. It's easy to be skeptical and it's also easy to be very optimistic. So I think uh, that the sort of the middle ground is always the right ground. So we have to be cautious and careful. We can't just trust everything and everyone out there uh, and take things on the face value. We need to educate ourselves in the process. And I think this is where I'm talking about the importance of education being something that's really lacking the sports industry because of the pandemic. And the fact that, you know, the stadiums and arenas all of a sudden had no more fans attending. The major sponsorship deals collapsed because of that. The, the sort of uh, the revenues, uh, you know, from selling tickets also collapsed in season tickets and everything else. The sporting properties had to find another way to engage. So in my view, obviously, pandemic massively fast-tracked the emergence of sports tech that we probably wouldn't have seen it to where it is right now. But at the same time, many, many properties out there rushed to all these mega deals. Uh, the moment somebody showed them a seven-figure, eight-figure sum, they were signing without doing any due diligence. And right. if you think about the likes of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Man City, Man United, they've got hundreds of millions of fans around the world. So if you are a sports tech company, relatively new in the marketplace, because nobody's older than five years, really, in the sort of NFT token space, then you will pay any money and you'll go and raise money in Silicon Valley or anywhere else in the world to actually have Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, into Milan under your belt because you all of a sudden have access to hundreds of millions of people or billions of people if you, if you combine them all together. And that's a huge value for any business. So you become a unicorn overnight. Whether you can deliver on your promise and on your contractual obligations, uh, what you put in writing, it's a different story. And we have seen the way in which many, many uh, uh, sort of cryptocurrencies have collapsed and how many of them also lost 95 to 90%, 99% of their value in the last 6, 12, 18 months. So that's, that's where we have to start looking a lot deeper, finding the partners that are uh, sort of offering education uh, e ecosystem uh, that is going to stay test of time, that is going to be around in the next few years, and that's going to really help uh, sporting industry uh, to embrace this new way of engagement. Because if you treat your fans with respect and offer them a various loyalty schemes, various utilities, money can't buy experience as opposed to just voting for something uh, totally irrelevant, but you are telling them that they are running the club by being able to vote for X, Y, and Z, you know, the, the, the color of the jersey, the song that's played after the, the sort of goal is scored. Who really cares about that? The fans, you know, this is, this is a typical example of, of the guys who are coming into the sporting industry not understanding the mindset of the fans. You see, the mindset of the fans is different in different parts of the world. You go to South America, you go to, you know, the Balkans, uh, where the, the fans live and die for these clubs. They're born into the, the loyal sort of 
environment where the father, grandfather, great-grandfather, everyone uh, basically supported that club. You're not going to switch, switch to the rival just because the rival is actually winning uh, the title uh, five years in a row. You stick with that. And you really need to understand uh, their motivation because most hardcore fans will give the club money for nothing. You know, this is another thing that the sport tech industry doesn't understand. Sometimes I have discussions uh, and, and, you know, they say, but, you know, we have to give them the value. Of course, you've got to give them the value, but it's without question. But also you have to understand if the club was in the financial uh, ruins, the fans will do anything to keep the club alive. And look at the uh, case of the Glasgow Rangers. Ten years ago, it went bankrupt. And last year, it won the Scottish Premiership and is now uh, a serious, serious force in the European football. So anything is possible. And uh, we just need to play it right. Right. So um, you mentioned the top clubs like United and Barca and Bayern. Um, is there a sort of space for the for NFTs and um, real fan engagement with the lower leagues? Is is it worth uh, the investment and getting into the space, or is it just meant for clubs that have millions of fans? I I think absolutely uh, to answer your question, Sid. I think we. You know, we, we, we're working with tier one, two, and three in different sports. I think in football, we are still at sort of tier two. I mean, tier one in certain countries, but I would call it tier two, uh, tier three at, uh, you know, the, the global ranking. And then uh, in sports like basketball, rugby, uh, we're in tier one. Uh, but we, we don't discriminate against the tiers uh, because I think in that tier two and three, there's a huge potential and potentially even a bigger need for these clubs to find a way how they can better engage with the audience, uh, how they can create new value, how they can create new revenues, and how they can really put together a very, very strong, solid uh, digital strategy to drive their sort of, uh, uh, the, 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 the sort of offering they have in terms of digital assets, not just to their own fans, but go on a global stage and trying to acquire new fans. Because if you look at Southeast Asia, uh, these kids, and some of the countries are 50, 100, 200 million strong in terms of the population, where you know, a huge percentage, 50, 60, 70% are your, your Gen Z, Gen Alpha, they don't have the loyalty towards any major club, the likes of the ones you just mentioned. So if you are a smaller club and you are fully digitalized, and this is some of the conversations we're having with some of our partners, that's kind of a greenfield for you. That's a virgin territory that you can take your brand, you can monetize it in the best way, and you can really create new opportunities and become a, a global phenomenon. phenomenon. Right. So, um, yeah, we spoke about uh, football, but uh, another question I had was, what about uh, individual sports and uh, uh, what sort of potential do you see there with NFTs? Do athletes have to individually uh, go about figuring out how to get into these uh, NFT spaces or the, uh, should it come from like the organization level? Because from in football, you'd have, let's say, United working with uh, a company like yours, but uh, in an individual sport like tennis, um, they're just individuals, right? they're athletes. Um, so how do they go about uh, leveraging the space? Well, 
So look, our, our solution is catered for clubs, leagues, federations, and athletes. We've not yet started signing athletes purely because um, it's a different conversations. We have a conversations with uh, a dozen or two top athletes uh, in their in their uh, chosen individual sport, or the athletes who are playing for major clubs around the world who have a huge fan base in millions and tens of millions, but who are not really sure how to monetize it in the best possible way, other than being paid by Instagram, Facebook, YouTube for the number of followers they have. The approach is very similar to the approach of the organization of sporting property, because they have a fan base. The fan base is there because they love what they do. They love what they stand for. They idolize them, but they also support what they do off the pitch because uh, uh, clearly, you know, when you are a role model and uh, many, many sporting stars around the world are role models for the community they come from, but they're also international global community. You have to be seen as somebody who also gives back to the society mm -hmm. and who's very chari charitable and philanthropic. And many of these sporting stars are. So then you grow the community in a stratospheric level and you have a huge base that you can monetize in the right way if you offer value and money count by experience. So I see no reason, and especially with uh, companies like Blocksport, uh, we are pushing that agenda too and discussing the ways in which we can engage with major uh, sporting stars who either play individual sports like tennis, uh, in a prime example, Djokovic, or who are already inside a major sporting property, but they haven't really fully understood the power of blockchain and power of a digital ecosystem. Right. All right. Um, we spoke a lot about uh, NFTs and how does uh, Metaverse and VR an AR come into the picture with regards to fan engagement. Are you well aware of the of the VR AR space? Uh, do you also intend to integrate some of these into your solutions? And what do you think about it? Well, absolutely, I think it's it's very complementary, and we're already having conversations with some of our main partners about building their brand in the metaverse. We're having a conversation with the major metaverse companies around the world. Actually, I'm meeting one of them next week. Uh, they're already building cities in the metaverse and are really already in the sort of retail sector and the fashion industry. Uh, they, they want to come into the, 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 the sport industry as well. Um, VR and AR absolutely uh, essential uh, component of the experience behind the fan engagement. I think uh, if you look at all the hardware and software that's gone into it and the way in which you know, instead of sitting in front of the TV screens, uh, you actually get through the streaming and OTT platforms inside the app. You put your VR glasses on and you have a, a very, very different experience. You feel like you're inside the stadium and inside the arena. So uh, it, it is all part and parcel of uh, what one has to look as a sort of full metaverse strategy. And I'm glad to see that some of the clubs are now uh, pretty much creating metaverse departments. They are hiring heads of metaverse because it's not just NFTs, it's not just fun tokens, it's not just the fun engagement app. There's so much more. And I think if we can bring that experience that the retail sector 
uh, has already done and also to an extent art industry because uh, you've been able to experience museum exhibitions uh, through the power of VR over the many, many years now. And I, I, it's great to see that we're really moving in that direction and I'm very, very pro all that ecosystem metaverse. Obviously, metaverse at the moment is a huge buzzword that nobody really understands in the sport, sport industry and in that sector because it's a bit too much, I think. There's, uh, there's lots of experts out there that are struggling to bring it down to the layman terms. And I think, again, I'm reiterating the importance of uh, education in the process and, and sort of really breaking it down in the terminology that's understood by those who are making decisions. Because unless we can translate it in the, in the layman terms, we will struggle to get them over the finishing line and uh, the opportunity will be missed because I genuinely believe that technology and blockchain in general is a huge, huge uh, facility uh, that uh, a major brands around the world could really, really utilize. Right. So um, do you believe that the esports audience are more receptive to these new technologies as compared to the traditional clubs because i see a huge space in the esports um, sector uh, the the twitch streaming uh, audience they're all they're already into uh, sort of these uh, these uh, technologies so what are your thoughts on that absolutely purely because it's a relatively new thing i mean esports have really emerged over the past decade and uh, many major sporting properties have jumped onto it, trying to sort of make some commercial sense from it. And many clubs, in, football clubs in particular, made the mistakes with just going for PES and FIFA, instead of really looking for the League of Legends and the Counter-Strike and, and all the other games that have got nothing to do with the actual sport. Because why would, they, uh, why would their fans really be playing and be involved with, uh, with a sort of football game offline and online? Uh, in, in, in that in, in the instance. And, and, and I know many people who have been advising the, the football clubs in particular and, or the major sporting brands how to take their e-commerce, uh, I mean, e-sport uh, sort of strategy and agenda forward. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at some of the biggest e-sports uh, teams around the world, they command such a amazing loyalty and conversion uh, in terms of the engagement between them and their fans in comparison to the traditional sports. I, I was shown in Monaco uh, by one of the uh, Southeast Asian esports team how the player who has only seven, 800,000 followers on Instagram gets 100 to 200,000 likes for every single post it does, which is 10 to 20%. If you look at the actual engagement with the football clubs that have 100, 200 million, it's one to two percent. If you look at the footballers, they have five, 10, 20 million, it's one to two percent or less. So the engagement is there. I think the sporting properties, traditional sports can learn a lot from esports. I think the esports is becoming very complementary to the uh, sporting brands out there because many clubs around the world are setting or have set up their own esports teams. Again, I think they lack the understanding how it really works because uh, they are used to the traditional. Uh, sort of uh, sport and they're trying to sometimes mimic the same way to actually approach it and that's the wrong way so they need a better education better advice and uh, and uh, better experts around them but uh, 
I think they're complementary. They can learn from each other. Esports is getting more and more investment in, and I think sooner or later it will it will become a serious serious uh, a, a player and a commander of huge uh, sponsorship deals as well. Um, it's still relatively young, but uh, I like the space. I like the fact that the engagement is on another level to the traditional sports, and that's where the traditional sports can learn a great deal from. Right, wonderful. And um, so with regards to esports, you mentioned the complementary. You, you don't think, I mean, I was always of the impression that, hey, um, esports is competing for the um sports the attention of traditional sports and that's how it's also perceived by traditional sports like hey esports is taking over because it's an attention economy uh people decide hey uh do i you know get into esports or do i actually um watch a 90 minute football match or a three-hour tennis match i always felt it, it was a competition of attention i think if it was 10 20 years ago when um the new kids on the block, the, the Gen Z and Gen Alpha, uh, went around uh, where we had a lot less time to consume content. I think if you look at uh, the content consumption, I was attending some event and presentation, the content consumption today is almost eight to ten times bigger than five or ten years ago. Uh, and uh, because of that, there's more space for consuming both tennis and esports, both football, basketball, and esports. And uh, frankly, you know, some of the big brands around the world, and we work with, with, with uh, quite a few of those. For example, Partizan Belgrade has 27 clubs in 24 different sports, including esports, as a brand, as a sporting society, it's called. And uh, one could argue they're all competing with each other in terms of the sponsorship thing. But I think if you uh, develop uh, an overall strategy on, on the sponsorship, the commercials, as well as individual strategies, every club has got its own management, its own board, and they drive that in the, in the direction they want to drive, then it's complementary and it's beneficial. Um, so I you know, don't see that being a huge problem because market is massively opening up. The next five to 10 years are going to be huge in terms of the investment into the sporting space anyway, in trillions, not in billions anymore. And uh, the audience is growing. You know, we're soon going to hit 10 billion people around the world. You know, uh, th there are more people that can afford few pounds, few dollars, few euros a week, a month, a day to spend on the content consumption. Not everything is going to be free. Uh, there's a premium content. There's exclusive content. There is a engagement elements, a special events, is a meet and greet, there's digital assets, the virtual goods, there's so much out there that uh, you're not forced to consume, but if you want to, you can. So I'm actually quite excited about uh, where we're at in 2022 and what the sort of next 10 years uh, are going to sort of deliver in terms of technology, in terms of blockchain, in terms of the new sports uh, really surfacing up and becoming uh, in, uh, interesting and exciting and also popular. Right. So uh, I don't want to take um, much more of your time. I just have two more questions. Uh, um, yeah, so I have a good friend from Bosnia, and I've also visited the place, uh, the bridge in Mostar. And uh, you mentioned something about your work in Bosnia. So uh, what sort of work did you do over there uh, with uh, with Edinjeko's club and 
Uh, so, yeah. So thank you for the question. So I, I was born what was then Yugoslavia, but in, in Bosnia um, in the 70s. And I, I came to London at the early 90s when the war broke out there. And, you know, I've been so back and forth. I, uh, I was a CEO of a national airline there. I also brought one of the uh, biggest billing solution providers out of Bosnia. And I remember meeting Richard Branson in one of the events and uh, asking him a question uh, what he would do uh, if he came across this amazing billing solution for his Virgin Mobile. Um, and he asked me to come and meet him in his HQ. Uh, you know, the, the deal didn't really work out, but it was great to actually uh, speak to him and, and to sort of, uh, you know, he's, he's a great success story when it comes down to being an entrepreneur and an investor. And then more recently, uh, I went back uh, with two objectives. One was to actually bring the Formula E race into the region. Uh, I'm a great believer that the sustainability and sort of electrical vehicles are the way forward, but Formula E is also a lot about technology. It's a lot about the, the, the future and the present, and it promotes the right values that I also believe in. And the second of one, I was uh, I was uh, inaugurated as the chairman of the football club, Zhuryaznicha, uh, from which Adin Jacob came out of, uh, from which I stepped down last summer, uh, as I'm so looking really to bring the investment uh, opportunities into the world of sport and the world of football there. So that was, that was kind of my sh relatively short stint uh, of uh, being uh, being back in Bosnia, but off the back of that, is my ambition with the club was really to digitalize it uh, onto the and make make it a global brand and do sort of global partnerships, which I did in Africa. I was very close to do it with Glasgow Rangers here, but it didn't work out. Uh, and um, off the back of that, that, that's how I really also came across Block Sport and uh, really loved the vision and mission of the co-founders. Uh, really believe that's uh, the right kind of property in the sports tech space that's a genuine when it comes down to offering the full digital ecosystem for the clubs. It's in it for the long haul, hence lots of our contracts are five plus five, five years old long because uh, we really want to push that agenda, we want to educate. And, uh, you know, I visit uh, regularly. I'm back and forth uh, to the region. I think the region is full of opportunity and potential, especially in the sporting industry. The relatively small countries, what used to be one now, uh, split in, the, in a few different countries. Uh, sport is a way of life. Uh, it's it's, a, it's a, you know uh, not something that you just take for granted. Uh, you you it's ingrained in you. It's in your DNA. Everyone plays it, and everyone competes at a high level. And hence, as relatively small countries, uh, it, it gets it gets you very far on the global level. And you can just look at the likes of Djokovic being number one tennis player in the world. Uh, you can look at the likes of Ibrahimovic, who was born there but played for Sweden. Uh, you know, he became one of the best players. Uh, you can now, you know, with Luka Modric, with Vlahovic, who recently moved to Juventus and will be playing in the World Cup. There is obviously Pjanic from Bosnia, Jacob from Bosnia, lots of major stars have uh, really emerged out of their region because I think uh, we have sort of uh, that ingrained in our DNA and we love to compete. Perfect. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, uh, the last question is, what does Blogspot um, have for the future? How do we find out more about it and also more about yourself? 
Sure. I mean, uh, look, I've, I've been with Rock Sports for almost a year now. Uh, I came uh, as a COO and uh, my my role was to really uh, drive the company onto the global stage. So we've set up uh, representative offices in the Middle East, in South America, in uh, Southeast Asia, in Africa, and really kind of globalize the concept, engage into major conversations, really attack the markets such as Africa, Southeast Asia and South America, where we feel our technology could really do miracles uh, for lots of these sporting properties, educated our partners uh, in the process like Partizan Belgrade and some of the European ones about the power of blockchain, got them to be the first uh, in terms of basketball in EuroLeague on the global stage uh, to really drive their sort of uh, digital ecosystem with their fans together. Uh, we, we, we actually starting to work more and more with our partners to also improve and perfect our product offering. I think it's very important because the, the kind of the, in any um, service or product uh, uh, industry or business, the product is at the core of it, but the understanding and the deployment of that product is also very, very key. And sometimes uh, you can sit with the tech developers developing something that's exciting, innovative, pioneering. But unless that's trialed by those who potentially need it and want it, 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 becomes, uh, it becomes a different proposition. So we are trying to engage our partners, ask them to tell us what else they would like to see from our solutions. We go and develop those, they try and test it, and then we roll it out into the space. So we're now bringing in you know, the, the OTT streaming, we're bringing in premium subscription model. We are enabling fans to acquire premium subscription off the back of fund tokens. Uh, important to mention that we're probably the only sports tech company in the world that offers non-speculative fund tokens, which technically act as stable coins. They're utility and benefits based because we don't want to list them because I think listing requires a great deal of thought because even if you go for an IPO at the main board stock exchange, you know, you need to really do a lot of work pre the listing. I think that the sporting properties have rushed to listing in my view. And I think there's been a huge mistake in doing it in that particular way. I think we need to uh, take more time. And, uh, you know, we are now looking at the various integrations with the, as I mentioned, the companies from Metaverse, the VR, AR components of it we want to bring to the table. We want to integrate the ticketing we're soon launching NFT tickets as well with some of our partners because we want to combine the physical, as you just mentioned earlier on, and the digital. Uh, we want to kind of help them create a much, much better engagement and obviously create lots of revenues. Ultimately, we want the fans to also be so close to the club that if the club is missing 10,000, 100,000, 1 million dollars, euros, pounds to acquire the player that will make a difference in the next season, they can get involved off the back of the purchase of the fund tokens or any of these other assets that the club has got to offer. And that can be a proportion. The, the signing of that player could be a proportion to the fans. And I was speaking to some guys in Israel only yesterday. They're one of the basketball clubs that's actually owned by fans, which I absolutely love the fact that there are clubs out there owned by fans. Although I question uh, sometimes whether fans can, can really run clubs just like when the populists can run the country. It's, 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 it's a, a bit of a tricky one and, and, and a politically uh, a sort of uh, correct or incorrect depends how you look at it. But uh, they did a, 
uh, a fundraise. They did a crowdfunding. I think they raised half a million dollars in order to help the club acquire a, a player that is necessary for them to compete at the top level. So uh, that's what's happening with Rock Sport. Uh, uh, you know, we recently started really, really uh, a huge uh, development and growth in Africa. We're soon going to be announcing uh, some of the first properties in South America and Southeast Asia. I'm very excited about 23, 24 as uh, we are ending the, the year at a very sort of uh, high level and uh, with, uh, with uh, lots of success stories that have happened over the past six to 12 months, despite all the, all the sort of market crashes, despite the global recessions, despite the, the sort of all sorts of geopolitical issues that of course have a knock on effect on the business, on the investment, on the sports scene, et cetera, et cetera. So, I remain very, very optimistic and I very much look forward to 23 and beyond. Wonderful. Um, Samir, thank you very much. Where could we find out more about Blogsport and also uh, yourself? So, of course, Blogsport uh, has a website. We recently uh, launched our new new brand, a new website, blogsport.io. Uh, we are a Swiss sports tech company based out of Zoo, but we've got uh, a sort of the staff and offices around the world. Uh, I'm based in London. Um, people can find out about me by going to my LinkedIn profile uh, uh, and uh, also uh, by writing to me directly at uh, samir at boxboard.io. Um, I'd love to hear from the audience, you know, the, the feedback, the suggestions, the ideas. We're very, very open-minded. We entertain lots of conversations. Uh, we are sort of easy to access because we believe in the collaborative way of uh, doing business. We believe that by joining forces, we can really help the educational uh, process and we can also help the industry to deal with these now confidence and trust issues that inevitably we're going to be facing off the back of the FTX collapses and uh, all sorts of other issues in relation to the world of business and world of politics. So. Um, I encourage everyone to, to sort of reach out to us. And of course, what we offer is unique, uh, as I mentioned, the full ecosystem. And if there are listeners out there that are sitting at the helm of the sporting properties, whether it's in Europe, America, anywhere in the world, please do get in touch with us. Uh, we'd, we'd be more than happy to sit down and talk to you and, and explore the opportunities to work together. Wonderful. To me, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really informative interview. Um, Loved uh, everything you said, and uh, hopefully we can get back in touch um, with each other soon. And you can probably come down to Munich whenever, and I'll see you in London. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sid. Thank, thank you for the opportunity, and um, all the best from London, and hope to see you soon in person. Thank you.